Hi, everyone. I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth. And this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guests are Jess and Nick, co-founders of Open Water, a brand on a mission to fight ocean plastic pollution. Open Water pioneered the canned water category, offering water in 100% recyclable aluminum bottles and cans. In this episode, we talk about their mission to eliminate the need for 1 billion plastic bottles by 2030. They share about their inspiration and journey building open water, why aluminum is a better alternative to cartons, the importance of listening to your consumer and making a product with impact, how their different approach to sourcing water is more climate friendly, what it means to be a certified climate neutral company, and how they keep perspective in order to stay positive throughout the entrepreneurial journey. Keep listening to learn more. Jess and Nicole, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited for our conversation today. I love what you guys are doing and can't wait to dive in to your story and your mission. So let's start at the beginning of both of your journeys. Maybe Jess, we'll start with you. What were you doing in your career before starting Open Water? Very good question. It will be a fairly short answer, actually, because Nicole and I met while we were undergrads uh, at the University of Miami and actually came up with the idea for Open Water uh, while we were in school. Um, I did graduate a year ahead of her, and I worked as an art director for a commercial real estate company uh, while Nicole was raising a bit of seed money for us to actually both go full-time. Nice. Okay. So Nicole, then you met in school. Let's hear about how you guys met. Yeah. So we, uh, we played soccer in the club team uh, and uh, Jess needed some help with her Spanish homework. Uh, And I'm originally (laughs) from Mexico city. So it was very convenient uh, for her. I would say very convenient for her. (laughs) It was, but yeah, so (laughs) Basically, we started open water without any previous experience, not just not just in beverage, but just overall. Uh, I think we were, you know, we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. And maybe that was a good thing at the time because we ended up, you know, going into one of the most competitive categories out there. And it's been a uphill climb uh, for us, especially at the beginning uh, and maybe kind of that like ignorance, I would say, uh, that we had at the beginning made us actually start this, you know? Yeah, I think that there's actually something that is super important about being ignorant at the beginning and not having the knowledge. I've, I started that way. I feel like a lot of people, founders that I speak to start that way as well. And it's almost as if, if you had the knowledge, you'd have all the things in your head telling you, don't do this, putting doubt in. But I think- mm-hmm. Without the knowledge, it's it's creating you to be a little bit more fearless than you would be otherwise. A hundred percent. We were like, how hard can this be? Right. We got this. <laughs> we can probably figure it out. <laughs> so let's hear about what the inspiration was. Where where did the idea start? And and then what were those steps that having no idea what to do, what'd you do? Yeah. So while we were in school, there was a, a small like independent movie theater on campus. Um, and one day we wandered into a screening um, and it happened to be a documentary about plastic pollution. So this was in 2009. Uh, the plastic pollution conversation was not the same as it is now where we're hearing about this problem 
essentially every every day. And so we both had a, an understanding through our own day-to-day lives that plastic pollution was a problem. You know, we'd see it on the beaches near our school, uh, on the streets, but it's such a large problem that it's almost like this abstract idea. Um, and seeing the documentary showed us visually what this waste stream really looks like. And it, it honestly just blew our minds. And so we left the theater and were shocked and disgusted. And very quickly, our conversation turned to bottled water, because obviously it's a pretty large contributor to that waste stream. Um, And in many ways, it's a pretty silly product. You know, from a sustainability perspective, there's reusable bottles and and tap water. Uh, That will always be the number one most sustainable way to drink water. Um, But we started thinking about the industry. Um, And if you look at the numbers, it's actually grown every single year since the inception of the bottled water industry. Um, and so what, what that was telling us. When did the bottled water industry begin? You know, roughly? It, it, I mean, it, there were very small brands that kind of got started in like yeah. the 70s or so, but um, it really ramped up in the 90s and early 2000s. But yeah, every single year it's grown. Um, and so despite us all having a cabinet full of reusable bottles, which we we all do because we get them at school events and races and you open a bank account and you get a reusable bottle. People continue to buy bottled water. So what we realized from that was that, you know, there's a huge convenience element that goes into the way that we consume and, and purchase this product. And so we thought, okay, well, people want the convenience of traditional bottled water, but we need to find something to curb the amount of plastic waste that is being created from this this product. And so we started looking at different packaging options that were available. Um, and we became a little bit obsessed. We looked at everything on the market. So like plant-based plastics, recycled plastics, um, cartons, so like Tetra Pak cartons, glass. Uh, and as we learned more and more about aluminum, we're like, this is an incredible material. It gets recycled more than twice as often as any of those other materials out there. It's infinitely recyclable. So it's hundred percent efficient in the recycling process. So Basically, one can can become a new can without losing any volume or quality in the recycling uh, process. And uh, nobody was using it for water. And so we're like, this is this is perfect. Uh, you know, it'll really curb plastic waste. And this packaging will have the highest likelihood of getting recycled and made into a new a new package again. Wow. And this is where the being naive came into play. <laughs> <laughs> you had this idea and, and then what did you, where'd you go with it? What happened next? What was the amount of time from seeing that documentary to landing on let's do something with aluminum? I would say it took a few months. Uh, we were, and we were toying with a lot of different ideas. You know, we, we knew we wanted to do something on the bottled water side, but we thought maybe we should do these refill stations where people kind of have their reusable bottle and they can return it and get a new one, but it would be like washed and then returned to the same store. So we like, we came up with a bunch of ideas before we, we kind of landed on, on this one. So I would say a few months between when uh, we watched that documentary to when, when we finalized the idea. We also, it took us a while to really kind of landed because cans have been around for a very long time, right? Um, you know, flip top cans. But when we saw people using bottled water in the way that we you, ourselves use it, is, you know, we tend to drink from it and then put it in our bag, in our backpack, yeah. and then take it with us through the day. And then, you know, the reclosability itself and the portability seems so important 
for water. Uh, and it really isn't that important for other beverages for, for some reason. But water, we just we uh, interact with it in a, in a different way. And so we said, well, cans are not resealable. How are we going to, if we put water in a can, are people going to, are, are people going to purchase it um, because they're going to lose that? And so we started looking for suppliers for aluminum bottles specifically. And there really wasn't much, you know, available because we wanted something that was lightweight. We wanted the cap to be aluminum. So we didn't want, there were some providers that, you know, had aluminum bottles, but the cap was plastic. We wanted the cap to be aluminum. And so there were all these considerations that we had in mind to find a supplier that would actually work for the bottle. And once we we, we found one that, that worked and we thought the cost would be, uh, you know, uh, it would work for a product like ours, then that's when the idea really kind of became more tangible because we knew, okay, this is a package. This is what we're going to do, et cetera. Well, I love that you've really come up with a concept listening to how the consumer uses it because you're so right. I mean, people want that to put the cap back on, put it in the backpack. And as much as the most sustainable thing would be to have your water bottle and fill it up, the reality is that's not how we live. And you're out and about and you need to get a bottle and you or you're traveling. I was actually just on a trip to Santa Fe and they had your water bottles in the hotel. And I thought like, this is such a cool thing that the hotel is being so forward or you guys have done such a good job getting to them and really having it there where the consumer needs it and being able to intersect at that, at that space and time. Yeah. I think sometimes the most sustainable solutions sometimes fail or they do not have the impact that they need to have because they do not take into account how we as humans work. And, and sometimes there needs to be that thinking about, you know, how do we, how do we interact with this product? What do people are really looking for? Because sometimes if you want to have an impact, sometimes you have to go kind of halfway uh, in terms of the sustainability side. So we always, we always encourage people to use reusable bottles. We actually always encourage people to refill our bottles and reuse them as much as they can. But there's this understanding that, you know, for most of us, there will be times where we find ourselves without a reusable bottle, without access to, you know, a refill station, or we just didn't feel like carrying our bottle around. And so those are the times where we're saying, okay, well, we want to give people a better choice. I love that philosophy. So let's talk about more about your greater mission is certainly helping to eliminate plastic in the world and the ocean. And I guess, what does that look like today? I know you you certainly saw that documentary and there were pieces that were pretty staggering and curious, like where we were then versus where we are today and kind of where we're headed. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, the amount of plastic that we're we're using uh, worldwide has not slowed down. It's, it's only increased essentially every single year. From our impact perspective, uh, we've eliminated the need for about 2 million pounds of plastic. Wow. Congratulations. Um, and, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and, and that's why we started the company in the first place, right? So our goal has always been from day one to eliminate as much the need for as much plastic as possible. And, you know, that keeps plastic out of landfills, but most importantly, out of our oceans. Kind of speaking about those staggering figures, I think one of the things that really kind of depressed us and really made us want to do something about it is that there's a fact that to me is like, it's crazy to think about the, uh, in, by 2050, there's going to be more plastic than fish in the ocean by weight. Wow. And that to me, it's like, it's insane. Like it, it is, it is such a, I don't know, like a visual way, or uh, I don't know, you kind of imagine what that looks like. 
and it's really scary. And so that's that's kind of why we wanted to do something about this. But we have we have very ambitious goals in terms of what our uh, we want our impact to be. And so uh, you know we've we've set the goal to eliminate uh, one billion plastic bottles by twenty twenty five, and uh, we hope to get there and and continue growing from there and just eliminate as many plastic bottles as we can. Amazing! Congratulations. So for people at home and what they can do, certainly plastic water bottles are one of the biggest contributors. What else are some of those big contributors or what else can people be doing in addition to having the reusable bottle, buying your product when they're out? What are some of your favorite you know, tips to be doing the best that we can? And to, to your earlier point, like we know we can't be doing everything, like what is realistic for us? It's so hard to eliminate plastic completely because it's everywhere, right? Like I, uh, one of our advisors, uh, when we were uh, just starting out, he was telling me a story about how he goes to the supermarket with his young daughter and he hates going to the supermarket with his young daughter because his daughter will not let him buy anything that has plastic in it. And he's like, I just come back with like an empty card because really there's nothing that doesn't have plastic in it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's sad, but there's a lot of opportunities to eliminate plastic in your day-to-day lives. And one of the things that I like to remember and remind myself is that sometimes these choices that we make, they seem so small. You know, you say, well, you know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna take a reusable bag with me instead of using a grocery bag, or I'm going to buy a bar of shampoo instead of shampoo bottle. And it, when you think about the problem, it seems it seems like such a small, like insignificant thing. And I think we all need to remind ourselves that, you know, we're part of a collective, right? And if we're all doing our part, that small insignificant step is actually very, very significant. It gets multiplied by millions of people. And so I, I think that that it, it's kind of like voting. Uh, I think when people say like, well, if I vote, this my vote really going to matter. It's like, well, likely your vote isn't going to change an election. But when we all do it, it can move mountains. And I think that that's what I, I like to keep in mind when making some of these kind of small choices in day-to-day life. I was going to say, Nicole, it's funny that you brought up the idea of voting too, but I was going to say, as consumers, obviously there's things that we can do in our day-to-day lives to eliminate waste. But when you're making purchases, you're also voting with your dollar to let companies know what you value. It might seem like a small contribution by eliminating a a bottle, uh, a plastic bottle of water. But these things add up and they start to influence things on a larger scale when you put them all together. And so I think that's an interesting thing and an interesting way to view your purchases that you're making on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about what you're, where you're putting those dollars and on that topic, curious to hear what the reception has been for you guys since getting into the market and from retailers and partners, as I mentioned, I found you, I found you before that, but was just at a hotel (laughs) that had you, what's been the reception kind of from the marketplace? I mean, things are very different now than uh, when we launched. So we bought, we launched back in 2014. And, you know, when we, we launched in Chicago, this is where we started the company. And our days used to be, you know, me and Jess taking my car, driving to the warehouse, filling it up with, I think we could, fit like 42 cases was like the max payload uh, that we could fit. And and we would literally like drive around the city and try to sell our product into whatever type of account we get into. And initially we thought, well, 
I think like most food and beverage founders, we thought, okay, we need to get into retail. We need to get into grocery. And that's really where, you know, where the product needs to be. And we got into a few, you know, convenience stores. We got into a few retail stores. And the product really wasn't resonating. Uh, people didn't understand, uh, you know, why, why should they replace plastic? Why aluminum was better? Why was this an issue? The value proposition you know, wasn't resonating, I think, because people weren't aware of the problem uh, back in 2014. It wasn't part of the conversation. And we realized, look, if we want to be successful in retail, there's going to be a lot of investment in education that we're going to have to make. And we don't have the resources to do that. Uh, and, you know, maybe we're totally the consumer really isn't there right now. In those, you know, car rides that we would take uh, every morning, we would also kind of hit, hit up these kind of different types of accounts. And we, uh, we got a few gyms to buy our water. We got a few museums that bought it. We got some hotels, got some restaurants. And those accounts, they were working like that. The, the product was resonating there. And so we decided to completely shift away from retail uh, back then and focus in um, on-premise accounts, which are, you know, these kinds of uh, accounts like offices, restaurants, events, et cetera. And there, you know, we started seeing some traction. So I would say it, it really depends on, uh, you know, what time period we're talking about. We decided to go back into retail and, uh, you know, kind of get the product into the channel in 2020. And it's been before like a after the pandemic had started. The days. <laughs> <laughs> it after. was after the <laughs> pandemic because, well, you can imagine like all of our business was on premise. Right. Uh, and so the pandemic hit and, 95% of our customers closed. Wow. And so we said, oh, oh man, like what, what do we do now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we said, well, maybe, you know, the consumer wasn't there back in 2014, but maybe they're there now. And we saw a lot of companies in different industries uh, whose value proposition was uh, getting rid of plastic and they seemed to be doing well and the consumer was receptive to that type of message. And so we said, well, maybe now's the time to try it again. And so now that you've been in retail, has the consumer shifted? Are they there? Yeah, I think there's been there's been a huge shift. Uh, I think people are actively trying to get rid of plastic in their daily lives, and that changes everything. And there's been a lot of all the educational, uh, you know, investment that we would have had to do in 2014 was really done little by little by just like this conversation around the plastic crisis and, uh, you know, National Geographic putting it on their cover and John Oliver talking about it. And it's just become part of the conversation so much so that I think if you talk to anyone about plastic, they know, they know that it's an issue. It's all about timing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. How has it been, you know, we started off talking about here, you were like not knowing anything getting into just the beverage industry, the the water industry, it's a massive, you know, billions of dollars category. How has that been for you just kind of navigating, you know, it's an uphill battle, I think being a new brand, a small brand period, whatever you're in, but then it must be that much more complicated. I would think being in such a massive, massive category with these huge players. It is a, a challenge. It's been a challenge. And I think that by going into the market in a little bit different way yeah. um, with this on-premise focus, it really allowed us to communicate and educate uh, the businesses and the partners that we were working with in a more hands-on way that we might not have been able to do otherwise. And we would have had a hard time competing uh, as we saw 
when we were on the, the retail shelves initially. But we've, we've had these opportunities to grow the business in a really mindful way and to position the brand alongside partners who also share our values. So, you know, from a consumer perspective, if you were to find open water at uh, your local Kava restaurant, um, it's a, a very different experience discovering open water there than it might be if you were to pick it up at a local convenience store for the first time. Totally. I think it was a really great strategy that you guys had being in those on-premise spaces is a really special experience and then something that you take home and, and go elsewhere with that. Something really yeah, unique. And I think also t- talking about the competition and, you know, the, the size of the companies that uh, we're up against, it's interesting because we really offer a product that they've been so reluctant to offer. And so we really have set ourselves apart from the big players in the category. And so we differentiate the product very easily. So it, you know, I think the, the bottled water industry is very, very, very much built on, you know, plastic. Yeah. Uh, and so when you come, you come into the category with a product that really breaks against that mold, the competition is a little bit different because if people, whether it's consumers or businesses, they want to get rid of plastic, now you're not competing with you know, the big guys. And so maybe that has made things uh, easier for us. But we definitely, I mean, we, we see this all the time. You know, there's exclusivity contracts or sponsorships. There's a lot of money in, in the industry. Uh, and uh, it definitely, you know, it, it, it's, been a, it's been a challenge. But I think that it's also an opportunity for us to say, we're not them. We're different. And these are our values. This is why we started the company. We've always done this right because that's the other thing it's like as the consumer has moved and you know i think that the tides are changing uh against plastic specifically i think some of the players that have been in the category for longer are starting to think about like oh my god what you know what do we do what's our step here and there's a difference for someone who has always said you know sustainability is uh, you know one of our core values this is what we've always done it's a very different brand, I think, and the consumer sees that than a brand that, you know, maybe sold billions of bottles plastic and now all of a sudden it's like, oh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it is. It loses the authenticity. And so I think that, uh, you know, that that makes open water very unique. Absolutely. Well, one of the other things I think that makes you very unique is that you're also climate neutral certified which is so cool. Can you explain what that means and how you are achieving that? So we talked about wanting to uh, reduce the impact of the packaging as much as possible. And we started off focusing on recyclability and which package had the highest uh, chance of actually being recycled into a new uh, a new package. Um, and so from that perspective, aluminum was the, the clear answer. But, you know, like all physical products, uh, our products still have uh, an environmental footprint. And the effects of climate change on oceans and the way that oceans interact and bolster our ability to work against climate change, the effects of climate change, it's super duper important. Um, And so we wanted to make sure that we were doing everything we could to have uh, an effect on on that as well. Um, And so we started exploring, this is back in like 2019, we started exploring ways that we could offset uh, the emissions impact of our of our products, and we looked 
at a lot of different organizations and there's a lot of them out there. Um, but we wanted to make sure we were doing it kind of like to the highest level possible. And we really resonated with this group uh, called Climate Neutral. And the reason is, is because they there's three components to the process. So the first one is measuring the emissions created by not only your products, but also your organization as a whole. So it's taking into account everything from the products themselves, the transportation, but also, you know, employee commute times or employee commuting, travel for, for business, um, all those different things. So it was a really like holistic view of our impact. The second step is reduction. Uh, and so one of, this is actually one of the things that was really cool. There's an active need to continue to improve in order to maintain certification. And so every single year, you are required to think about and implement ways to reduce the emissions that you're creating. Um, and then the third step, of course, is the offsets. So yeah, it's it's been something that has become really, really uh, important to who we are as a company. That's so cool. We are currently in the process of working with Planet Ford. I don't know if you've heard of them mm-hmm. um, to do our first carbon accounting and then start through that process of reduction. That's amazing. So we'd love to hear for you for your A, like were you surprised in that in the beginning of going through that process? And then secondly, what does that look like for you in terms of offsetting and how you think through, you know, what those partners look like to do so? I think the process has been really interesting because it gives you visibility as to where your impact in terms of carbon emissions is coming from, right? And you cannot improve things unless you know, like the step one is understanding and knowing. Yeah, knowledge. And if you don't have that knowledge, then how are you going to get better? Uh, and so I think that carbon accounting does, you know, it, it really opens your eyes in terms of like, oh, not, not only, you know, which activities are having an impact, but which ones are the ones that are the most impactful where you could have, if you made changes, where you could have the highest impact. And for us, uh, you know, it's always been obviously the, the packaging and it's uh, shipping. Uh, shipping for beverages, not just water, but any beverage. Uh, accounts for a lot of the emissions for the product because it's something that's heavy. And so that has really guided, you know, how we source our product and it's made us make changes. And when we started open water, where do you uh, source your we, water from? So all, all of our, our products are made in the U S uh, all of our materials are made in the U S and our sourcing philosophy is very, very different than that of other premium bottled water companies. Because if you think about it, premium bottled water has been built on this idea that a single source is the best. So if you think about Evian, Fiji, you know, Evos, any of the premium bottled water brands, what they're telling the consumers are saying, hey, we have this like really special source and it comes from this like uninhabited island and it goes through volcanic rock and you know, you need to buy this water and it's the best water in the world. And what that means from a uh, emissions perspective and from a logistics perspective is that in order for you to get that water, that water is coming from that single source, no matter where you buy it, whether you're buying it in the US, you're buying it in Europe, doesn't matter. It's coming from that single source. So you're shipping, you're shipping water across the globe from that source. And that model just did not make any sense for us, to us. It didn't make any sense. Like this is water. There's no reason why we need to ship it, you know, from a Pacific island. Uh, that doesn't make sense. What we need to do is we need to focus on the taste. 
We need to make sure that we're making the best tasting water we can, but we need to do it in a way that we can replicate where the source water uh, doesn't really matter, but instead we have this specific process that we use, specific mix of uh, minerals and electrolytes that we use, where we can actually fill our product in different locations and get the same great tasting water. And that has always been our philosophy from the beginning. But obviously when we were small, it's very hard to do that. You don't have the scale. Uh, And so you have this like grand ideas about like sustainability and sourcing all these things, but you're so small that it's like, okay, well, we can, you know, this co-packer barely took us uh, because we're basically a non-existing company. We cannot divide our production into many locations. But so we, we used to have one single facility where we filled in, uh, which was in the Midwest. And now we work with four different ones and we're adding two uh, before the end of the year. And so the idea is that as we grow, we start making our product closer and closer to the end consumer And by doing that, we're reducing our shipping emissions very, very significantly. And that's how it kind of ties to the climate neutral uh, conversation that we were having before. That's awesome. That's so amazing. Like such a brilliant way to be thinking about it that I'm sure a lot of people hearing this right now is connecting the dots and thinking, I don't need water that's coming from like that island around the world. That makes no sense. I think people sometimes don't think about that, right? right? Like they, you buy it and you're so used to seeing it in different places that you might not even make the connection. Yeah. Uh, but I think when you actually think about it, it's kind of crazy. Absolutely. Okay. So that's super interesting. Let's hear about the offsets and how that works. And I'm, I'm sure people have heard of that word, but don't necessarily know what that means. What, it, what does that mean if you're buying offsets? What are you doing? So... Offsetting is practically you take your carbon emissions and then you're supporting projects that are going to well actually offset those emissions. And so those projects can be anything from reforestation projects for protecting forests, because forests are obviously a carbon sink. It can be uh, alternative energy projects, so wind power, solar power projects, etc. They can be Uh, methane capture in landfills. There's a lot of, these are activities that are basically going to suck carbon from the atmosphere. And the idea is that you balance your emissions out with these projects and you're funding these projects so that they get made. And there are some requirements for offsets to actually, you know, uh, do do what they have to do. So climate neutral actually has a very stringent requirement in terms of which offsets they accept because they need to be what they call additionality, what means like it needs to be something that wasn't being done before, because otherwise you're just accounting for carbon that would have been, uh, you know, taken off, taken away anyways. And so there's there's a few, you know, steps in the process that we need to make sure that we're meeting. But but that's the idea around it. And we funded everything from reforestation projects to clean energy projects to uh, landfill methane projects as well. So we do a mix of uh, different different types of things. That's amazing. So as you guys have built the brand. Over the years, looking back, what's the one tip that you would give yourself that you could improve, that you could advise yourself? I I think that there's so many things that we could have done differently (laughs) and avoided a lot of headaches, a lot of stress uh, and gained a lot of sleep back. But uh, let's see. I think one of the biggest things, uh, so when we launched the, the name that we launched with was different. It was green sheep water. Oh. Uh, which is, 
different yeah. name. <laughs> different name. I think that the only thing that that name did for us was bring up questions. And, and what did that mean? Green sheep water. <laughs> so we started thinking about the name, obviously, from the very beginning. Uh, and the, the name came out of the idea of being really different and doing things differently in the bottled water space. So we thought of ourselves as kind of like this black sheep. Uh, we didn't talk about water in the same way. We were doing a different packaging, but it was in a green way. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we would get asked about this all the time. It was very, very confusing for consumers. And we had this realization very early on that we needed to to rebrand, keep all the same values and the same product and the same mission. But uh, we ended up rebranding to Open Water and nobody's asked us what, what the name comes from since. So uh, it was the right move. Uh, but it was one that, you know, the, the initial problem came about because we were so intimately working on this project for so many years. Uh, and it was obvious to us, we were just too close to it to realize that it would lead to questions and confusion for the, the people who were coming without having any of the background that we did. So the advice would be step back, uh, take an outsider's perspective and think about things through a different lens uh, before going all in. Great advice. And your packaging and branding is now beautiful. So it all worked out. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and conversely, what would you say is one of the best pieces of advice that you guys have received that's really helped your business? And from who? So I, uh, when we were just launching, actually, we had launched, uh, you know, maybe we had been in the market for a month or two months. We did a business plan competition at the University of Chicago, where I was doing my my grad school. And some of the advisors there, they said, look, you need to understand who your customer is and kind of cast a wide net. Go find, you know, different people, different businesses, uh, try different things before you decide on who that customer is. And And this idea of like, you know, going and reaching out to different types of businesses and types of customers and not solely focusing on retail came from that. And and that's when we realized, oh, okay, this is who our customer is. This is who the product is resonating with. And with that came, I think, the other piece of advice, which is once you find that customer, once you find the fit, focus, focus on that. Everything else is a distraction and you should focus, especially at the beginning, you should focus on what's working instead of trying to like, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm also going to do that and I'm also going to do this other thing. It's like, if you found it, you only have, you know, so many resources, you only have so much time. If there's something that's already working, all of your energy should go in, into doing that. And that's why we actually, we focused away from retail because we said, even though we thought, you know, maybe this product will eventually do well, maybe there are things that we need for it to do well on the shelf. We thought, well, it's already doing well in these other accounts. Let's focus on those uh, instead of trying to fix a problem over here. That's such great advice. And it can be so easy to just get spread too thin. And that focus really made you guys stand out. So I love that. And it's not easy being focused. And certainly work can be all-encompassing. So I'm curious to hear for both of you, how do you show up? as the best versions of yourself? How do you take care of yourself? I never like to use the word balance, but how do you kind of fit everything in your life into a day and feel your best? It's a challenge. Uh, and I think that it's one one of those things where you can constantly make improvements too. For me, I, I do always try to get outside 
um, as much as possible. Uh, I try to work outside if I can. Nicole's very familiar with seeing me sitting in this spot because I'm able to get fresh air uh, while I'm sitting here working, which is really nice. But I think it also helps to have a routine. So uh, every morning I I go for a walk with my dog and my daughter, and it's just like a a really nice way to set the tone for the day. That's super important to me. I love that. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I think one of the things that's also important is and, and you know this because you're you're a founder too, uh how how hard it is, right? And, and how how hard uh some days are most days. <laughs> most days are hard. And I think that one of the things that I think keeps me sane is like I try to remind myself where we were at three, five years ago. And it puts things in perspective. You realize like you've done this before, you've had uh, obstacles and challenges before, and you've gotten through them, and you're here now. And the you of whatever, three years back or five years back, uh, if you told her, you know, where you would be two years for like, two or three years away from now, like, how would that feel? And it makes you like appreciate, I guess, what you've accomplished so far. And I think that perspective, I think it's really helpful, especially when things are rough. I think that's such great advice for anybody, business owner, founder or not. But is there anything that you do to remind yourself and get into that kind of practice of remembrance and acknowledging how far you've come? Or is that just comes to your mind or do you do anything more formalized with that? Nothing very formal, but I do try to do it uh, whenever I'm like about to freak out yeah so most days I'm like you know slow down think about it think about you know where you are now and I think one of the things that I actually forget to do that I uh, I should do more often is you know the the positive stuff the bar for getting that like feeling of like incredible achievement it gets higher and higher as your company grows it, it becomes hard like I remember the the first time like we sold a full pallet of water. Yeah. Jess and I, like, we got in the car and we looked at each other and we were like, oh my God, like, we just sold a pallet of water. We high five. Like, it was this incredible. It was like you had sold like $50 million dollars worth of product. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, and now we sell pallets of water, you know, all the time, every day, many, many of them. And you don't get that feeling anymore. And sometimes we forget. To again, I think it's like that perspective, like we lose perspective on, on the positive stuff too. And because it's it's so hard to be a founder on a day-to-day basis, you need that positive kind of feedback and those positive fe- feelings to keep you going. And so you need to, again, like when you get wins, put them in perspective because yes, the, the bar gets higher and higher and higher, but you need to feel good about what you're doing. And sometimes you have to remind yourself to, to do so. I love that. I definitely could use that advice too. So thank you for sharing that. One thing I've recently been doing is I am pretty good at like a morning routine, but I don't have a night routine. I don't know if you guys do. I um, would mm-hmm. love to hear if you do. But one thing I, I heard from someone recently was before you go to sleep, like when your eyes are closing, really think about everything that happened in the day from the very start to the very end of like, just a gratitude for every piece, what, how big or small. And I do think that is a nice time to really acknowledge like, hey, we might have sold five pallets today or whatever it is. And that is a win, even though we've done that every day for the last year and just acknowledging those kind of small moments. 
So do you guys have a nighttime ritual? Not I actually, I try, <laughs> I kind of try to do the opposite of what you have. Like, <laughs> I, try, I try to like completely disconnect, you know, yeah. like for, for me, it's like, I, I don't know if this happens to you, but for me, it's like, if I start thinking about work, my mind just like starts going like it, 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 it can prevent me from sleeping. Like if I, if I get in bed and I start thinking about work, even if I try to focus on the positive things, I don't know. There's always like something that is it's there. There's always something that you need to do. There's always something that could be better. And so to me, like it wraps my mind up and it actually becomes harder, I think, to rest and kind of do that. So I actually try to disconnect. And so one one of the things that I try to do is I, I actually try to read before I go to sleep because it just like it takes me to a different place, takes my mind off of things. So that that's kind of what I what I do on a nightly basis. And I assume then that means reading something completely not related to work, business. Completely. Just... You will never see me reading entrepreneurship books. <laughs> You'll never see me reading. I just read like the furthest away from that that, that I can. Oh, tip. I love that. Okay, we're going to move into some rapid fire Q&A. Both of you need to answer these. Three things that you're currently loving. So the first two that I'm going to share are are actually newsletters, and they're not related to work whatsoever. So one is from this company called Painter Jackets. Um, it's a UK-based company, and they are very, very mindful about everything that goes into their their products. Uh, they actually only release one product every quarter, and it's an unlimited limited quantity. Um, but they do a really, really nice job of telling the story and giving you like a really cool behind the scenes look. And then they always have like these random links and at the bottom of every newsletter, you know, it doesn't say anything about them. It just says like one, two, three, mm-hmm. and they're always awesome. And, and I always find something interesting there. So that one's super cool. And that's P-A-Y-N-T-E-R. Um, another one is called Dense Discovery. And it's kind of a mix of like sustainability, like design architecture and it's just there's always interesting tidbits interesting people being interviewed and then two things that i'm really into and because we are in the beverage space i'll tell you things that i'm drinking a lot of right now sure. uh so spindrift tea and lemonade and then um culture pop which is a probiotic soda and i actually just tried that the other day i've, I've tried a lot of these these newer soda brands and for me none of them really hit the mark uh, but this one's really good awesome Nicole. And for me, there's three three things that I currently love. The Women's World Cup soccer. I've been a huge soccer fan and the Women's World Cup is amazing. The, the Most of the games are like really, really early in the morning. Like I'm talking yeah. like 3 a.m. So I'm not waking up to watch them. But I <laughs> usually I stay away from like social media. I don't look at my messages so I don't see the result. And then I get to watch them at night. I, I usually watch the replay, but I, but I love doing that. Product, I love Bachan's. Japanese barbecue. I don't know if you've tried it, but no. I tried it at Expo West this past year and they literally were giving just like, they were cooking rice uh, and it was just like plain white rice and they were putting their sauce on top of mm. it. And it was just like incredible. Like, I think I could just eat rice with that sauce for many, oh, wow. many days in a row and be very happy. It's really good. Yeah. So I, I got some, <laughs> it is really good. I got some of that after Expo West and now I keep it in my fridge all the time. And then uh, this brand called Tiny Organics, they do frozen baby food. 
I have a, a young daughter, she's a year old. And, you know, we talk about balancing and how hard it is. It's very hard to balance work and, and being a mom. And it's been kind of a lifesaver sometimes. Like when you don't have time to cook, you know, there are great meals that you can just put in the microwave, good ingredients, uh, simple. So the, those have been great. What do you want more of in your life? We'll just go back and forth, Jess to Nicole. Um, I have a feeling that my answer will be the same or very similar to Nicole's. But really, the, the thing that I would love more of is, is time. There's just never enough time. Yeah, it's exactly the same for me. Time, time. If I, or if I could like clone myself, uh, mm. that would also work. <laughs> so more Nicole. <laughs> Favorite words to live by. I really like the quote, we didn't come this far just to come this far. And I like uh, make it better. This like constant improvement philosophy, whether it's work related or not. A favorite book or podcast for growth? So I'm kind of in a similar boat to Nicole too, where I try to read books that are not focused on, on work stuff or like entrepreneurship and things like that. So there's a, a blog that I, I actually go to every day and it's a, a design focused blog and it's called Brand New. It's from a group by Under Consideration and they do re- recaps of uh, rebrands and oh, cool. it's very thoughtful and insightful and gives a lot of uh, behind the scenes looks. And, uh, yeah, like uh, I, I don't do a lot of books related to, to work either, but uh, before we started the company or when we were starting it, the Honest Tea book came out. It's called Mission in a Bottle. And it's really cool because it's a graphic novel. It has like this is a really different feel to it than most books. And it was directly related to what we were doing because they were in the beverage space. And it was so insightful. And I recommend that actually when we have people join the company, I always recommend that they that they read it because there's like so much information in there. And it's such a cool and interesting read. I totally agree. I read that at the beginning of starting up and I actually have Seth coming on the podcast next week, which I'm super excited about. Yeah. He's awesome. Favorite open water moment? For me, it was when we hit 1 million pounds of plastic eliminated. And what did you guys do to celebrate? Because that was a milestone (laughs) that you you can't forget. (laughs) we certainly didn't do enough to celebrate it. Um, it was in 2022 and we have meetups, all team meetups, uh, twice a year. And so we held off and celebrated uh, when we were all together, which was really nice. And for me, it was one time, uh, it was actually pretty early on because now, now we see our products, uh, you know, out and about in what we call in the wild pretty often because the distribution has grown so much. But early on, I was coming back from the airport. And I got into the cab and there was empty bottle of open water in the back of the cab that I was getting into. And it was like the coolest, it was like the coolest feeling. Yeah. To see it like there, uh, someone else had used it. Like it was, it was so cool. It's hard to describe. Yeah. Wow. And lastly, what is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Uh, I think this goes back. So Outdoor time, family time, and preferably those two together. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's very similar too. And uh, I think it has changed a lot too, you know, my, my perspective on things, I think, since uh, since I became a mom too. You know, it, it puts things in perspective and you realize, you know, work is not everything. It is, for founders, it is so much part of like who we are. It's our identity. 
but I think, you know, having a daughter really kind of pulls you away and you're like, Oh, I need to, I need to get away from this. I need to do other things. I need to spend time with them. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast in closing. What is next and where can everybody find you? What is next? Uh, so we're continuing on our mission to eliminate as many plastic bottles as possible. We are working on expanding on the retail side. So available in uh, one region of Whole Foods and Kroger stores across the West, um, on the East Coast, Stop and Shop, Fresh Time, Fresh Market, and then restaurants and, and things like that. You can find more at drinkopenwater.com and on social media at drinkopenwater. Wonderful. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. That was really great. Yeah, thank you for having us. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.